Hey, good morning. This is really um, kind of providential of the Lord, the way that this worked out. We're in a series called Washed, and what that's about is these specific moments uh, in Scripture where it talks about that idea of water and of washing, and we're just doing a few of those. There's lots of references in the Bible about that, Uh, but it just happened where it fell on a day that we actually are baptizing people that... Uh, the message is about baptism. So I thought that was just kind of a cool thing that the, the Lord did, the way that played out. We did lots of things today in the service. Um, and staff meeting Kevin said, hey, if we could throw in a baby dedication, I think we've pretty much covered everything that we ever do. Um, but I love this picture of baptism. I think it's a beautiful thing. All pastors have weddings, funerals, baptisms. We've got stories. We've got funny stories of things that have happened, um, you know, that where it doesn't go quite as planned sometimes when uh, these moments are. What you want to happen is for it to be, you know, just really meaningful and spiritual and just very, and sometimes it works that way and sometimes it doesn't. Uh, I was right up there one day, and I was baptizing this guy from the Philippines. He didn't speak English really well. I didn't speak whatever he spoke at all. And he's a really big guy. I'm a normal size guy. That wasn't meant to be humorous. Uh, um, he was freakishly big. And anyway, he, he was just tall, and he was really wide. And so I know what he's thinking. He's looking at me, and he's looking at the water, and he's going, mm-mm. And so I'm trying to explain to him, it's just physics. You know, I said, this is, I said, I've, I've done guys bigger than you, which was not true. Uh, I thought, you're the biggest man I've ever seen, no less baptized. Um, but, but it worked pretty good, and I showed him how we're going to do it, you know, and I said, this is, this is going to work, and, and I really knew that that part wouldn't be a problem because it's, it's kind of a mechanical thing, and I'm looking at him thinking, you're probably pretty buoyant, so <laughs> this is going to work. Um, the only thing I didn't count for was water displacement. So we're right up there. I don't know if you can tell. There's like a little piece of glass that goes across, and the water was up pretty high that day. And as I lowered him into the water, uh, it created what we in the baptizing business call the ripple effect. <laughs> and it just and it, it rippled and went over that glass. And at that time, we used to have um, kind of like a choir loft where there were rows. <laughs> so everybody on that back row of the choir... at the same time went like that as that water came over and just went right down on them. It was a a very moving, touching experience. Uh, One of the most beautiful times, I think, we used to do these trips out to the Navajo Indian Reservation, and we went out there, and uh, there's really nowhere to to baptize. So what we did is uh, the best we could do. We dug, because the ground's very soft, just big rectangle in the ground, you know, about this deep, and we put tarps in it that we had uh, to cover stuff, and we just filled it with water. And all these people who needed to be baptized just lined up, and people were on tops of buildings, and they were on tops of their cars and trucks so that they could see, and we just created this little amphitheater and maybe some of you were on that trip because uh, you were there and 
Uh, you remember that. I just remember that was just one of the most beautiful times. And they celebrated and just were joyful. And we had a big meal together afterwards. It was just a, just a sweet time. So baptism is a part of our life. It's a part of the rhythm and the, who we are as followers of Jesus. And maybe it's new to you. Maybe it's something that you're curious about. And you, you're in the room today going, well, I've never really seen that. I've heard about it. Or maybe you've seen things. I don't, know, I don't understand quite what that's about and why they go to such great lengths. It looks like a lot of trouble uh, to, to do that. Well, you know, what is, the, what is the big deal about baptism? Well, if you're asking that question, you're in the right place. Because we're going to talk about that today. In fact, the big idea about today's message is that Jesus... Even Jesus was baptized. Uh, it was a little different in his case, but it was a public proclamation. And it came right at the beginning of his ministry. And the application of that for us is that we, as his followers, should walk with him and be baptized. It's this outward demonstration of an inward transformation. And I know that sounds like a pithy, you know, cliche, and it's got some religious overtones to it, but it really is. It's an outward display or a demonstration of an inward truth of this transformation that's happened in our lives. So there is the baptism of Jesus, which is a little different because if you're like me, the first time you read this, you think, wait a minute, Jesus is Jesus. Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. Why would he be baptized? Well, let's look at that and, uh, and walk through this little section of Scripture together, maybe answer that question and maybe some others as well. So I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 3, verse uh, 13 to 17. And this is what the Scripture says. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying... I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? And Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold... A voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. In verse 15, he said, one of the reasons right up front, you know, the reason that he's doing this, he says, so that all righteousness would be fulfilled. This fulfills all, all the righteousness. And that is the same verb uh, to fulfill uh, as it, in fact, the most common use of, the, of that word was really when you're fishing and your nets get filled up and it says the nets are fulfilled, that they're fulfilled. So Jesus is the fulfillment of righteousness. It's what he's saying is righteousness is now full uh, in, in me. It's finished. It's complete. It's just bursting in, in Christ, in Jesus. That's, that's what that is. And this kind of righteousness is internal. You know, my first exposure to what I considered righteousness and what I thought that was about was really mostly just rules and regulations, right? Maybe some of you have come from that kind of background. 
And I thought, okay, here's 10 things I got to do. Here's 10 things I can't do. Here's some things I'm really not sure about, but I'm going to try to land on the right side of those and figure this out as I go along. But to me, it was all about that, do's and don'ts, and kind of trying to get it right as I was going forward. And it turns out that's not at all what righteousness really is about. This is internal. It comes from uh, a whole heart that's, uh, that's right with God. Folks, this is not just external observances of rules and regulations. And maybe you're kind of burnt out a little bit on church or religion or what you have perceived as Christianity, maybe because of, like for me, the attitudes of some of the people I knew who were Christians. In fact, the very few people that I did know, that seemed to be the big deal about it. Going to church and don't do this and and do that. I didn't see the depth that was behind that. Uh, This is a genuine passion for, for God and for a life that can be lived in his grace. That's what this righteousness is. And it says that Jesus wants to fulfill that and do everything along the way, but it comes out of his heart, even being baptized. So it's like he is this, he's this bursting, this full net of righteousness. And then scripture says, says that uh, when Jesus was baptized, that the heavens opened up. Now, I don't always see things like that in scripture. And I think once you've seen that, how could you not buy into everything else? If I see the heavens open up and a bird comes down and lands and I hear a voice, I'm going like, you know what? I'm in. (laughs) I'm going to go with this guy because that's pretty incredible. I've never seen anything like that before. I mean, it wouldn't take but one or two or three miracles for me to go, wow, this is real. And then to never doubt that for the rest of our lives. And so sometimes we look at these events and we think, how could these people bail on him later? Or how could they not believe after they've seen so much? Well, I have to turn that back into myself. I think, how can I see so much? How can I know so much about the Lord and have walked with him? And yet sometimes I still worry and I doubt and I question. Or I just go a completely opposite way. And I think, what were you thinking? Why would you do that? You know this is true. So the heavens are opened up, and and it actually says the heavens are torn open. And did you know that there's only one other time in the entire Bible, in all of the New Testament, where this word is used, where this kind of thing happens? You may have already guessed when it was. It was when Jesus was crucified, and the Bible says that the veil in the temple was torn. It was opened up from the top to the bottom. Isn't that really kind of an amazing thing? That at his baptism, this is torn and it opens. And you don't see that verb again until the end of Jesus' life. When he's opened up this way. And it's just this affirmation after affirmation as we go forward in the life of Jesus. uh, Where he is exposed to us and his grace is put on display. And then... There is this voice in verse 17. This voice is heard. And and I don't think it was just Jesus. This wasn't um, a metaphor or it wasn't something the writers wrote in. Like, you know what would be really dramatic? 
if, if, if Jesus heard voices. No, everybody heard it. Uh, even the author who's writing this says, we heard it. We were there. We heard this voice from heaven after the sky opens up and all of this happens. This voice. And, and it's not just the typical word for the word voice. It's a word which means shine. Like something that's shiny. And, and I thought, well, but that shiny is like a visual thing. If I see something that's shiny. This is like, am I going to say this right? If I say auditory, is that, is that even a word? Where's... Okay, I'm seeing you nod. Either you don't know and you're pretending to know. But I, I don't know. But it, it's, a, it's the same thing that would be shiny to your eyes. You go, wow, look at that. It's that uh, audible. Okay, it, you're hearing something that's shiny. I know. That doesn't, you think, that doesn't even make sense. I know. But that's what was happening. It was, it was this different kind of voice. It was a shiny voice. It was something big. So it's hard for me to kind of wrap my mind around that or even to describe it. So just think. In your imagination, you know, there, just think of charging chariots or rumbling thunder and, you know, those kind of things. But it's in a voice. It's in an audible voice that they understood with words, with language. And the voice says, this is my son. And when I read that, this idea came to my mind that he could have said, here is your savior. Or finally, this is the Messiah. But his introduction, what the voice says is no, his primary identity who I see, it's my son. It's like he's saying to the world, hey, people, I'm giving you my son. Yes, he's Savior. Yes, he's the Christ. All of that. But mostly to me, this is my boy. This is my son. So Jesus is presented to us from heaven as the beloved son. I didn't grow up in church, but I knew one verse, John 3.16, right? And most of you know that, whether you're in this community or not. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You see, there it is again. He didn't give a hero. He didn't give, oh, he gave the save. No, he gave, he said, you know what, I'm giving you, I'm giving you my son. That's all I've got. That's what I've got to give you. And this word, it appears here, and then it's even there in that familiar scripture. He said, this is my beloved son. And there's so much packed into that linguistically that it's hard to describe, but it's monogonese. It's, it's, he's the only one of his species. He's the only one of his kind. He is unique. He's different. He's special. There's nobody else like him. And the love that I love him with, there is an attachment there that is absolutely beyond, and it's... It's not like any other kind of love. This is my son, and I love him. He is loved by me in a particular way that's not the same as the way I love anybody else. And then the voice says, I'm well pleased. This literally means I'm content with him, I'm pleased. 
Another way to say this, and this was used in other places of this language, is I think well of him. Or you could say, I like him. How great is that for God to say, this is my beloved son. You know what? I don't just love him. I like him. And I want you to get this, because sometimes in my life, I have felt like, because you know, when, when you're in Jesus, you know, when, when you come to faith in Christ, Scripture says you're placed in him. So just over and over again in the New Testament, it describes our relationship as now, you know, you were in sin, or you were in your flesh, or you were in the world. And he says, no, now you're in Jesus. You've changed addresses. You've got a new location. You live in a different place now. You live under grace. You live in righteousness. You live in Jesus. And when God sees Jesus, when he sees me, he has to look through Jesus. And he says, I love him and I like him. And I want you to know that you don't just get swept up into God's love because he has to. And that's what I thought. Well, I'm part of humanity you know, I'm a human being, so he's kind of got to love me because he is God, and that's what he does, and God is love, and, you know, and I grew up in the 70s, so we were all about that. Every song we sang, you know, was love, and that was the answer to any problem. Well, well we just need more love. We just got to, oh, my car, oh, you just need love, you know, I mean, that's kind of, and we just kind of projected that into any scenario, every situation, and so my thought about God is that he has to love me. And it wasn't until later that I began to understand when you push aside your guilt and your shame and your embarrassment and all the junk in your life and you think, okay, he's got to love me, but I am me and I don't know how likable I am. But you are. I don't know if you believe me. I had people to say things like that and I don't think I really embraced that or believed it. But he likes you. He loves you purposefully. He chooses to love you. And every morning when you get up, he's already looking at you going, man, I like her. Oh, he is. I like him. I just threw that in for free. I just wanted you to know that because uh, there's, a diff- there's all these different feelings and images and the way that we see God. I was scared to death of him because I always thought of him as my judge. My name even means God is my judge. How do you like that? You know, anybody that shares my name, well, get past that. You know, you go out to play and you think, I think I'll do this. And my mother would always say, I may not see you do it, but God sees you. I was terrified. I mean, I just thought he's watching me and, oh, he just saw that. I made him even madder than he already was at me. He's waiting to get me. He's got like a lightning bolt and he's following me. And, you know, I shoot Billy with a BB gun and it's like, oh, now what's going to happen? And as we grow up, we don't really let go of that. We kind of keep that idea. Yeah, he is a judge. But he loves you and he likes you and he's pulling for you. So I hope you lean into that. But that's what the voice says. And something that's pretty amazing about this moment at Jesus' baptism is that you've got the whole trinity that's presented or or manifested in harmony, in rhythm, in agreement, together. In this, this instance where their unity 
is on display. Baptism is very rich in symbolism, as are a lot of the things, I guess, in our lives, but it shows us this spiritual reality. It's not the reality, but it it puts it out there in a way we go, oh, I can get that, I kind of see that. It's kind of like wearing a wedding ring that shows you're in a committed married relationship, that you, uh, you know, it, that there is a commitment there, that there's, baptism is an outward sign of an inward change. It doesn't save you. Putting on a ring doesn't make you married, but it shows that you are. I thought that was a great illustration and that you would just go, ah, oh, you didn't do it, but that's the way it works. God gives us these tangible ways of seeing his work in our lives because so much of it's invisible, right? And as we experience this gift of God, others get to see how he's working uh, in our lives because it's made visible in these little ways. And one of those ways is baptism. We get to see that. We hear the testimony and we see baptism and then we celebrate and we think, oh, I get it. You've really done this. Let me just let me stop and ask this because it was always natural for that to follow, you know, salvation, this transformation with this outward affirmation of this is who I am. If you are really in Christ, if that's happened for you and, and you know I'm in Jesus, I know I'm a Christian, I've been saved. Um, um, whatever your language is, that, but you know that you're a follower of Jesus and you haven't been baptized, why not? Why not? I'm, and I'm not poking at you, I'm not being facetious, but what, you know, what are you waiting for? You ought to do that. You ought to do that. And that, that, that's my voice. You're hearing my voice outside. But see if that lines up, if it syncs with the voice of the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, like I think it was uh, Olivia that said, there's Olivia and there's Olivia. And if you could change your name to something with a Ivia in it, that would, that would have been perfect today. But, uh, you know, I think she said, the Holy Spirit just began to convict me. I need to do this. I need to follow through with that. So maybe that's all you need to do. Now, Jesus' baptism was like a launching pad for his public ministry. It was this significant emergence of Jesus after years of obscurity. He's going public. He's, he's putting himself out there. And nobody compelled him to be baptized. He came to John of his own choice. In fact, it was John was the guy who saw the irony of the whole thing. What? You want me to baptize you? I don't know. And the scripture is saying he was pushing back. He was trying to go, no, 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 no. This is really crazy, and I can't do this. This is humiliating. I can't, what am I, I, can't, I can't even untie your shoes for you. I mean, you are so, you're everything I've been talking about. And you got to know that John was really an unusual character, right? I mean, he's out there, and he's wearing weird clothes and he's eating strange food and he is you know but he's the guy and people are coming to him and they're getting baptized because he's got the answers he is doing something different than those who've gone before him have ever done he is like the John Grudem of the first century uh, he's, he's just making so many um, people interested again 
who had been burnt out. But when he sees Jesus, he's like, no. And Jesus says, yeah, you're the one. And in baptism, Jesus is confessing as his own the sins which he hadn't committed. Get that? He is, he is repenting of them before God, and he hasn't even done anything. But you remember in the Old Testament, like in Isaiah and other places, where it says he was numbered with transgressors, and he bore the sins of many? Now that makes sense, right? Now you think, oh, I see why he would be baptized, even though he didn't need to be. He's doing it like everything else he did on my behalf. There's also a sense in which this was an important, like a new beginning for Jesus. Not in the sense of turning away from sin, but he's, he's, he's making a break with his previous life. He's stepping forward in a, in a, in a different way. Like I said a moment ago, he's, he's going public. And we see this love relationship, this cooperation between the persons of the Trinity. In this one occasion, in this one moment, you've got the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit all being manifested at the same time. That's really rare in Scripture. So the reasons for Jesus' baptism is to fulfill righteousness. That He's kind of consecrated. He's officially approved. He's, he's, he's checked all the boxes. He's done what he needs to do. John's been declaring the arrival of Messiah and the end of his own ministry. And here's Jesus. and He's saying, this is it. Everything is shifting now in its beginning. And I think that Jesus is using this moment to completely identify himself with humanity's sin and our failure. And he becomes our substitute. He's providing an example for his followers, for us. And the thing about baptism is that in Christianity, it was never intended to be a private experience. I had a good friend once, and we were talking about, you know, how long have you been a Christian, and how long have you? He goes, yeah, and I said, yeah, and when, when were you baptized? And he goes, oh, I baptized myself in my bathtub one night at home. And, um, and it's, maybe you've done that. I'm not kind of guess I am making fun a little bit, but he, he was straight-faced. He was like, what's the problem? I don't get it. I said, well, I don't think that's really the way that's supposed to go. He said, yeah, I just did that myself, and um, just one night taking a bath, and I just thought, as long as I'm here, I got the water, you know, just, and so he baptized himself, and I said, you know what? The only problem with that is that it was always intended, always, even before Jesus' baptism was a public, was it was a public event. So when you found Jesus as your personal Savior, that was an intensely personal experience, right? That's really personal. And sometimes we even say that, or maybe you've heard other people that if you've tried to, you know, start a spiritual conversation and somebody goes, oh, no, that's really personal. That's, I can't talk about that. Which to me is incredible now because we talk about everything. I mean, people just, you know, just talk about everything in their lives. And used to, you know, you go to family events like Thanksgiving's coming up this week and then Christmas. Okay, we're not going to talk about politics. Uh, I can remember my wife standing behind my dad as we're just really going at it, you know, and she's doing this. Stop it. Stop it. Don't talk. 
talk about it anymore because he's just getting mad and I'm just spoiling the whole holiday. So there's something in this thing. So let's talk about that. But now we just talk about everything. We, talk, we just talk about everything. So there's nothing private. You know, when you entered into the family of God, there's nothing private about that anymore. You can't be like a spy or a secret agent for Jesus. Yeah, I'm just yeah, keeping it. I got a plan. Uh, no, we're, we're out there. We're out there. And when you follow him, you are thrust into this. You are part of this, uh, this, this wonderful, crazy, messy, beautiful thing called the church. The body of Christ. I had a roommate in college and goes, yeah, I love Jesus, but I'm done with the church. I'm not going to do that. That's like saying, hey, I'd love for you to come over next week and have dinner, but don't bring your wife. I can't stand the woman, okay? You're, you're invited, but not her. I mean, you would think, well, I've been... I'm not coming if you, you know, it's the same thing to say, I love Jesus and don't love the church. Jesus says, this is my body. This is my bride. We're connected. So almost everything that happens of spiritual significance in in your life after your salvation happens in connection to your family, to the extended family of God. And and that that includes baptism. Uh, Baptism is an ordinance of the church. It's, It's a big deal. First of all, it's, it's an individual, public profession of personal faith in Jesus. And it's, it's a way of saying, I surrender. I'm in. You're my guy. And it's important, we think, for somebody to be old enough, uh, mature enough to understand what's happening and to be able to make that commitment. We struggle with that sometimes. And this is why our baptisms, I think, here at Calvary are so special because uh, we walk that walk with you and and it's a person saying I I know what I'm doing and I want you to know I belong to Jesus and I have surrendered uh, to his will in my life I'm in I know we live in a generation that thinks okay I like Jesus and I, I think he's really really cool but here's some of the things I am and am not going to do in my commitment to him I don't know where we got that idea I don't know where we kind of figured that there were, you know, like a cafeteria or a menu. Yeah, I'm going to have, no, would, could you leave that off? Yeah, my salvation, I'm not going to do that. No, it's, it's all part of the same thing. You just say, I surrender. I'm yours. And the second thing about baptism is that it's biblical and it's consistent with the history of the New Testament church. There's never been a time in history until now, I guess, where we would think, that there are options, like, like baptism. Like, well, that's an option, and, you know, it's, it's almost, and I'm kind of scared to say it this way because it's going to be misunderstood. It's like an initiation, you know, into the body of Christ. It's not joining a club, like local church is a club, and you got to be baptized. And sometimes I kid with people who are getting baptized. I go, here's your shirt, you know, you get a shirt. Um, and then we're going to teach you the secret handshake and you learn Calvary passwords and we're going to put a little tattoo. Where would you like that? Because, you know, it's just, no, you know, we don't, but I think sometimes we think of baptism like that. It's not exactly like that, but in a bigger way, the concept is that now that you have a commitment to Jesus, it is like you've joined an assembly of believers and, and it's not found anywhere in the Bible, the early church, 
that following the Lord in baptism, I mean, it was always this official public pronouncement that I'm in Christ now. Now, I have people who live in other countries where the persecution is so much greater, and they have to, they have to get really creative when it comes to baptism. I was in Eastern Europe right after communism fell, and the Orthodox Church there was very, very strong. And we had a, a young lady who professed to know Jesus, and we were going to have a baptismal service. And so she waited. And the night of the baptism service, it was in a little village. I'm looking around to see if there's anybody here that maybe was on, the, on one of those trips. Um, but she came, and this guy brought her in this little pickup truck, and all of her stuff's in the truck. And she said, yeah, we were like, well, what's up with that? And she's like, well, you know, my parents said if I decide to get baptized, then I'm out of the house. I'm done. And so my grandmother said I could stay with her for a little while. And I mean, it was, I thought, you're, do, you're getting baptized even though that's the cost? That's the price you've got to pay? She goes, well, yeah. And I think we think, I don't know if I'm going to get baptized or not because, you know, you got to get wet and everything. And, and I just think we don't get sometimes the significance of that. And it's part of this, this movement called the way back then. And while there's so much joy in it, sometimes there is a personal cost. Sometimes there is persecution. But baptism was this, and I'm trying not to use the word initiation, but I, I'm, I'm not coming up with another, another good phrase. Uh, this ordinance into the, into the local fellowship of the church. Now, there's a guy who explains this so much better than I do, and his name's Francis Chan. He was a pastor out in Simi Valley in California, and I only met him once. We just happened to see him in the airport in here at Tyson McGee or McGee Tyson. I always, I always say that word backwards, McGee Tyson. I've only lived here like three decades, and I don't know the name of the airport. I also don't know the correct name of the restaurant that's really close to here. Is it Ruth's Chris or Chris's Ruth's? I always get them backwards, but this is a guy... I just interrupt myself. Uh, his name's Francis Chan. He's, he's, a, he's an amazing guy. And he really explains this in about six or seven minutes in, in such a better way than I can. So I thought, I'm just going to let him do that. And then that will kind of wrap up this message about baptism. But I want you to listen. Particularly if you feel like, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I haven't taken that step yet. Just see what you think and see what the Holy Spirit says. If there's agreement in your spirit. Okay, let's watch this together. <laughs> 